0: Well, friends, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 7-10 through 10 tonight. And if you did not happen to grab a paper on the way in, you're still welcome to do that. There should be some in the back and certainly some in the front that are left here. And so you can uh, feel free to avail yourself of that. Um, it's always difficult when we're preaching or teaching through narrative to cover so much ground um, because the themes... Uh, sometimes they take up multiple chapters, and but then to read four chapters of the Bible uh, all together would be would be quite the the feat here. Um, but why don't we um, why don't we do the best we can? So if you'll look in Exodus chapter seven, we're going to read for a little piece, and then we'll stop and see what we ought to read after that. Exodus seven verse one. people and children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. In other words, here's the promise. You will be exodus out of here. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. So why is God going to do the exodus? To make His own fame known among the nations, right? Where else do we see that in the Bible? In the Great Commission. God is going to make His fame known among the nations by the gospel going forth. So we see a, a glimmer of this in the Old Testament here. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring them out, and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was eighty years old, and Aaron eighty-three years old, when they spoke to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. And so now you know, perhaps if you've read through Exodus, you know what happens next. We start going through a number of plagues. And, and it seems that with each, with each act of judgment that God puts on to Pharaoh and onto Egypt to try to teach him, let my people go, Pharaoh kind of always walks up to the water's edge. And he gets kind of close to obedience. He gets kind of close to obeying the Lord God. And then as soon as the pain is removed, he, he backs up a little bit, right? Uh, it's temptation for us, right? To obey God uh, during when things are painful, right? And then when the pain goes, like, okay, I guess, I guess I'm in God's favor now and I can ease up a little bit, right? Things like that are very tempting, uh, at least to me, and maybe, maybe so for you. If you look in verse 17 in, in chapter 7, you'll see a pattern beginning to emerge, Thus says the Lord you see this is this is talking about the plague of um, of water turning into blood thus says the Lord God by this you shall know that I am the Lord so even his acts of judgment everything that he's doing are meant to tell them who he is that he has power even over the creation which he made simply by speaking um, and then of course chapter 8 talks about the plague of of frogs um, let's see if I can find a good place to pick up. Why don't we pick up in verse 8? We get a glimpse into Pharaoh's heart. Chapter 8, verse 8. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people, that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and... Be left only in the Nile. And he said, tomorrow. I don't know why he would want to wait, you know. But that's what happens. Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died out in the houses in the courtyards and the fields, which seems like it would be a plague of its own. And they gathered them uh, together in heaps and the land stank. I believe in the King James it says stanketh. I'm not sure though. That's, that's a joke. <laughs> Swing and a miss. All right. Verse 15, right? Um, but when Pharaoh saw that, they, that there was a respite Right, and there was a break in the pain, when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them. But even God knew what Pharaoh was going to do, as the Lord had said. So a third plague comes uh, of gnats, a, a plague of gnats. And of course, it says this in verse 18, chapter 8, verse 18, it says, The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So if you're noticing here, yes, it's possible by these demonic forces to to sometimes replicate what God did. Here with the gnats, they can't even do it. With With the serpents, they were able to do it, but God showed his preeminence. God showed that he was even over the sorcerers and the magicians because his staff swallowed the others, right? There's these little signs, and now the magicians can't even... They can't reproduce this one. And then, of course, beginning in verse 20, there's the the fourth plague of flies. Um, And we see, if you notice, in verse 22, chapter 8, verse 22, look what it says. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of the flies shall be there. Why? That you may know, that I am the Lord... In the midst of the earth, so God is being very specific about what's going to happen, where it's going to happen, where it's not going to happen. Why? To show who He is. Verse twenty-three. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. Let's see. Chapter nine talks about uh, the fifth the fifth plague, Egyptian, the, the, where the where the livestock die, and then the the bulls occur, right, which would be uh, quite unpleasant, and then hail. And if you look, um, verse 14, chapter 9, verse 14, For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself, and on your servants and on your people. Why? So that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and and struck you and your people with pestilence, which just means disease or death, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up. Why? To show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. In other words, whenever God moves in salvation and in judgment, he moves so that others can know exactly what kind of God he is. I don't know if you notice here, after Pharaoh begins to get a little tired of this, in chapter 9, in Exodus 9, verse 27... You know, friends, out I- how I told you that sometimes we're, it's very easy for us to speak about our sin as a category, right? Yes, I have sin. We're we're all very comfortable with that kind of language. Sin is a thing. But when we get to start, when we start to talking about our sins, our individual sins, it gets a little more uncomfortable, right? And that's why when we have our nights of guided prayer, I think it's, it's uh, important way up front for us. We get together, and one of the first things on the sheet that we do is quietly to ourselves in between the pews, we, we ask God to forgive us for the sins that we have committed, the specific things. Notice how Pharaoh responds in this way. Chapter 9, verse 27. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to him, This time I have sinned. You mean it, it? took it took that many. Plagues, it took seven plagues for you to think up one thing that you've done bad. It's like talk about a, a hardness of heart that's that's going on in Pharaoh here. This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and and I and my people are in the wrong. Well, friends, we're happy about progress, right? Pharaoh's making some progress, but it's really interesting how he how he looks on himself and how he thinks of himself. And oh. Believe it or not, lo and behold, chapter 10, verse 2, look what happens. Chapter 10, verse 2. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. This is a great little hobby if you like to just underline in your Bible. If you're a Bible underliner, just going through the book of Exodus and underlining every time that God says, I'm going to do something so that you will know who I am. Friends, that's why God moves in history. So that we can see who He is and then give Him the worship that He's due. Um, uh, I tell you what, that's probably enough for us to begin going through the lesson tonight. So if y'all are ready for me to start preaching, we'll start. <laughs> y'all, saw, y'all thought I'd already started, didn't you? All right, so this, that, that, that groundwork will make things a little easier because now we're just going to go through and look at some themes, okay? So the battle between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman intensifies as Pharaoh enters into a direct confrontation with the Lord God. Who do you think's going to win Spoiler alert, it's not Pharaoh. Okay? We gain insight here into the human heart. We learn about the human heart. It's like our hearts, many times our hearts. Outside of Christ, especially, our hearts are a lot like Pharaoh's. They're hard. They don't want to do the right thing. We learn about human desires. We learn about the power of God over each of his created beings. The sovereignty of God is on full display. The only question is, will Pharaoh yield and will Moses trust So, God's power over the human heart. I want to deal with with a couple of things here. Uh, The ways that Exodus speaks of the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. There's really three categories here. And I've given you little snippets there in italics. Sometimes we see God say, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Okay, So God can do the hardening. Sometimes it just kind of speaks in the passive voice. It doesn't say, who does it? It just says that it happened. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. At one point, it says, Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. And then at another time, it talks about Pharaoh doing the hardening. It says, but Pharaoh hardened his heart. Okay? So these are really just different glimpses into the same diamond. If you turn a diamond in the sunlight, you see a a different glimpse of it, a different color even, a different shine. The Bible speaks of the hardening of Pharaoh's heart in these ways I've given the Scripture references. Chapter 7, verse 3, 9, 12, 10, 1, and 10, 27 is spoken of as an act of God. God says, I hardened his heart, or I will harden his heart. In the passive voice, you know, his heart was hardened. There's four four of those in these four chapters. And then as an act of Pharaoh. So Pharaoh is taking part in his heart being turned away from God. Uh, three different times, at least, uh, the times that I could see as I went through this. So, here's what we learned. It's helpful to harmonize these by remembering what does it take to harden something. Like a piece of clay. you got kids who are playing with Play-Doh. Or if you took a class in high school or whatever, a pottery class. What do you need to do to let something harden? You Just leave it alone. That's what it takes to harden something. So when God leaves somebody alone, that's usually how God judges people. He doesn't have to strike them down with some lightning bolt out of heaven. He just leaves them alone. And friends, that is a scary, scary thing. When God leaves you, if you listen, if you listen, if if you read to Romans one, what does it say about the people who were Engaging in all kinds of ungodliness. It says, and God gave them over to their passions or to their lusts. In other words, God said, okay, do you want that? Is that what you really want? You want that instead of me? I'm not going to strike you down. I'm not going to fry you like a sausage. I'm just going to leave you alone. Very sad. Very sad. So, uh, God does harden. Pharaoh does harden his heart. And sometimes it just kind of happens by God leaving Pharaoh alone. This hardening and softening of the heart relates to humility. Look at chapter 10, verse 3. Uh, We just read this, but I'll read it again. Um, So Moses and Aaron, chapter 10, verse 3, Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. So usually, a hardening of the heart has to do with pride, with not being humble. You see that? How long long will you not not humble yourself, they say. Uh, Secondly, it has to do with listening, listening to God. Chapter 9, verse 12. We're kind of going backwards here. Chapter 9, verse 12 says this, But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them. Right? Talk about having ears to hear. When God softens your heart, He gives you ears to hear. In other words, I don't know if you've had this experience, but maybe perhaps when you were young, you heard the gospel, you heard the gospel, you heard the gospel, and one day you heard the gospel, and you believed the gospel. God opened the eyes of our hearts. He he opens our ears. He gives us ears to hear, and it all comes from Him. It has to do with listening to God and hearing uh, his message, and then thirdly, hardening and softening have to do with accomplishing a purpose of God. So, if God's got a purpose that He's going to accomplish, He will accomplish it by hardening or softening hearts. He will accomplish that purpose, and He does it here. Look at chapter eight, verse fourteen. Chapter eight, verse fourteen. Oh my, I'm sorry. Eight thirty-two. How did I, how did I read that wrongly? Chapter eight, verse thirty-two. So Moses... uh, Let's start it in verse 30. Chapter 8, verse 30. We'll read 30, 31, and 32. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked, and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. So God's got something more that He needs to teach through this situation and what happens clearly god's not taken by surprise at this hardening of pharaoh's heart it happens it happens so that god can further demonstrate who he is there's a purpose behind it look at chapter well 10 verse 2 we were just there making a different point at 10:3 look at 10:2 chapter 10 verse 2 and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, so that you may know that I am the Lord. In other words, God moves, he hardens hearts, he softens hearts, so that others can hear in this case. So that the, the, the children can be told about this God. So that the grandchildren can be told about this God. And so that the nations can know that I am the Lord, says God. There's a purpose Behind it, and then look at ten, verse twenty. Um, let's let's look at nineteen, <clears throat> and the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Okay, so so God is getting rid of the locusts for Pharaoh, for Pharaoh's benefit. Not a single locust was left in all of the country of Egypt. This sounds like a great opportunity for Pharaoh to be like, okay, I get it. But what happens? But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. Wow. So God can harden his heart so that he would would not let the people of Israel go because God has something more to teach his own people who are fickle. I mean, his own people are looking for signs all the time, right? His own people are asking for signs. And so I think what, I don't know the mind of God, but what God's doing here, all right, I'll give you a bunch of plagues and I'm going to make you sit through every single one of them. You want some signs? I'll give you some signs and I'll harden Pharaoh's heart so that you have to sit through every last one of them. Maybe, maybe. Uh, Speculating here. This is thus thinketh Greg, not thus saith the Lord, right? So the takeaway is this. Even the things that we think we have control over, are ultimately influenced, ordained, or directed somehow by a good and sovereign God. He has good ends that he will accomplish even through terrible means. God will accomplish good ends. How do we apply this? This is what I've come up with. As we consider our own hearts, as we consider the hearts of our family members, maybe you have family members who aren't walking with the Lord, as we seek to evangelize people in our community, as we give money so that missionaries can go to the hardest places in the the, the different corners of the earth, as we seek to make disciples here at Trenton Baptist Church, we need to be crying out to God for a softening of hearts. Why? Because only God does that work. When we share the gospel, we want it to fall on good soil. We want it to fall on ears that are ready to hear the gospel so that God can combine faith with the truth of the gospel in folks' heart and they can turn and repent and believe and and follow Him for the rest of their lives. So, also, when we see gaps, when we see gaps in our own sanctification, our first response should be to ask God to give us a supple heart. God, would you soften my heart so that I can change so that I can be more like Jesus. I've been praying this for myself as we have been going through James. I've tried to figure out what are the best things I can give you all, I give the people here at Trenton Baptist Church as resources as we go through James. So we've got, you know, our men have had these scripture journals and, and then we do the you know, the family guide and a little catechism for kids and stuff like that. I thought that maybe another good resource would have been like good recommendations for dentists because I, I mean... Every week I get kicked in the mouth. I mean, just get kicked in the teeth by the book of James, right? Um, And so whenever we get uh, uh, kicked in the mouth by the word of God, we ask God, oh Lord, help this not to fall on my deaf ears. Change me by it. Would you give me a soft heart so I can respond to you? We also learn about the unbelieving nature of man. Outside a work of grace on human hearts, mankind is desperately lost. They engage in all kinds of behavior that's ultimately fruitless. Pharaoh displays many of these traits. So he uses God when convenient. I don't know if you've noticed this. You ought to read this on your own. Of course, I can't read every single, every single syllable of it. But Pharaoh uses God and repents when it's convenient. Pharaoh repents when it's in his best interest to do so, when it's going to make life a little easier, when it's going to make the road smoother. Pharaoh has a knack for being pressed into obedience until the pain and the pressure goes away. And there's chapter 9, verse 34, which we actually talked about a little bit ago. Here's a quote. Uh, Lenny Miller is no famous man. He's actually the father of a very good friend of mine. And he's a pastor in South Carolina. And he put this on uh, social media just last week. In one of his sermons, and I thought it was incredibly uh, good for Exodus. And he said this Anyone can find God useful, only believers can find God beautiful. Right? God is not a means to an end, right? God is not somebody we come to so that we get stuff. We come to God because He has made us see Him as beautiful. And because he is the treasure, not his gifts that he gives us, but he, Jesus, he himself is the treasure. There's also, in Pharaoh, a partial recognition of sin. Uh, Pharaoh is willing to repent only insofar as it helps him in his current crisis. Look at chapter 8, verse 8. What does it say here? Chapter 8, verse 8. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and the people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So it's, it's, um, he's, he only repents or he only cries out to God when he's been pinched. Eight twenty-eight, Chapter 8, verse 28 says this. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go and sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. So, I'm going to try to get one foot in obedience and leave one foot out of obedience. Plead for me before God to take away this thing. I'll let you go into the wilderness, but don't go too far. don't want to let you get away. And then 9, 27. Chapter 9, verse 27. Now, of course, we, this is how you minimize your own sin. This is how Pharaoh minimized his own sin when he said, This time I have sinned. And I don't know, if you, if you notice up in chapter 10, verse 17, Exodus 10, 17, look, we see almost, uh, I'm sorry, 10, 16, and 17. Uh, maybe, maybe a little bit of repentance here. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God. Wow, this is nice. Pharaoh seems to be coming out with it. He seems to be saying, I've sinned. Right? He's using very clear language. But it seems like, This is only a facade. I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once. Do you see that? Forgive me only this once and plead with the Lord your God to remove this death from me. So Pharaoh isn't broken over his sin. Pharaoh is broken over the consequences of his sin. And those are two different things, right? Those are two different things. Then we see a callousness to miraculous signs. Pharaoh seems to be callous to these signs. Look at chapter 7. We're way back in chapter 7 now. We're all over the place. This is like sword drills in RAs when you're a kid. Chapter 7, verses 8 through 13. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourself by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. And of course, we know what happens because I just read it a few moments ago. But there's these great signs. You would think that if someone were to be able to come into Trenton Baptist Church tonight and do these kinds of signs, it would make us believe, right? But the human heart outside of Christ is so hard that there's a callousness to it. And of course, We see this in the ministry of Jesus too. God incarnate, the Son, walks among people, does miraculous signs. And it seems like in the New Testament, right after Jesus does this great sign, the people come up to Him and say, do a sign for us. You didn't see me just raise that man from the dead? You didn't see me just multiply the fish and the loaves? Or you did see me, but now you're asking for another sign. It's like this thirst that can never be satisfied, the unbelieving heart. And of course, we know why this is. We learn about it in 1 Corinthians 1. In the very same passage that I mentioned this morning, but it just goes a little further, right? We've got to read all of it. For the word of the cross is folly is foolishness. It doesn't make any sense. The word of the cross, the gospel, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. In other words, we didn't come to know Jesus by figuring stuff out. We didn't come to know him by finally reading enough textbooks. We didn't come to know him by any means other than it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Through the preaching of the word, through the teaching of the word, through the sharing of the gospel, people come to believe. It's a mystery. We don't know exactly how it happens, but God does it. And it says this in verse 22. For Jews demand signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Because that is what can soften the heart. And so friends, when I say that we need to be a word-centered church or a word-focused church, this is exactly why. Because I don't have the power to talk anybody into heaven. You don't have the power to talk anybody into heaven. But there are people who when they hear the word of God, it will fall on good soil and God will cause the growth and they will be saved. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And lastly, the last thing, the glory of God. God orchestrates all events to get himself the glory that he deserves. The Exodus account is full of reminders that God moves and acts. Why? To get His own glory. Honestly, I think that I've covered most of these as we walk through it, but let's just revisit this because we can never talk about the glory and majesty of God too much. 7, 5, chapter 7, verse 5, the Egyptians shall know. In other words, the other nations. The other nations need to know who God is. That's why we go. That's why we give. That's why we pray. But also... Our people need to know. Trenton, Kentucky needs to know. Our children need to know. Our grandchildren need to know. That you may tell in the hearing of your grandson. In other words, teach the rising generations who God is so that they can hear of His glory. They can see Him as sweet, see Him as beautiful, repent of their sins, and follow Him for the rest of their lives. So here's what we learn. God is jealous for his own glory. It's a good, holy kind of jealousy, not the kind of jealousy that we experience. God is jealous for his own glory, and he will get it. God is not mocked. He's not mocked by Pharaoh. He's not mocked by anyone. Humans raising themselves of their own wisdom up in defiance of him will be brought low one way or another. This seems to dovetail well with our James 3, 13-18 passage from this morning. A love for self cannot exist with a love for God. And only one glory will win out in the end. And friends, I've read Revelation, and it's the glory of God that will win out in the end. Why don't we pray and then give God a little more praise during our time of reflection and response tonight. Would you pray with me? Lord, we yield before you. We bow our knee before you. And Lord, it is much better to bow the knee now, uh, it, because we have been saved, than one day later to have to bow the knee in judgment. Because every knee one day will bow, every tongue will confess who you are. Lord, I pray that as we look through Exodus and and as we see these pictures of who you are, that we would that we would believe that you would give us soft hearts. Lord, would you change us? Would you would you give us would you sanctify us by the preaching of your word, by the, by the reading of your word throughout the week? Would you make us who we need to be, give us soft hearts so that when we read your word, when we hear your word, and when we talk to one another about your word, that it would fall on soil that is ready to produce fruit. Lord, would you produce fruit from us? We ask you because you're the one who does it. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.